Welcome to Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training, Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Teach Mara, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop. And today's workshop is COVID-19, Omicron and Delta variants, COVID-19 vaccines and booster vaccines, revised guidelines for people living with cancer and their loved ones. And today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and an independent educational grant um, from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Now, we have over 400 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we do have a number of international participants from Australia, Canada, Lithuania, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And it's really a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I do have a few questions that I would like to ask all of you. And um, the reason we're asking you these questions is that it helps us as we plan our programs going forward to get a sense of what you know about this topic coming into the, into the program. So I'm going to begin with a first question. And this question is visible to those of you who are live streaming the program. And you'll be able to hear me reading the questions and you'll all be able to rate the answers. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand how to protect myself and my loved ones from COVID-19, Omicron, and Delta variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of COVID-19 vaccines, booster vaccines, flu, pneumococcal, and shingles vaccines. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how to protect myself, loved ones, and children from COVID-19 and its variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. I understand where I can find reliable information regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and its variants for people living with cancer and their loved ones. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this is the last question. I understand how to manage the practical, emotional, and financial stresses related to COVID-19, Delta and Omicron variants, and cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank everyone for participating in these questions. It really helps us as we move forward planning programs. And now it's really my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Richard Grawler. Dr. Grawler is Professor of Medicine, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Jacoby Medical Center. And Dr. Gwala will be addressing COVID-19, Delta and Omicron and its variants, revised guidelines for people living with solid cancers, how to protect yourself and your loved ones from COVID-19 and its variants, and COVID-19 vaccines and booster vaccines. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Gwala. Well, hello, and thank you, Carolyn. I am Dr. Richard Gwala. I'm a medical oncologist at the Albert Einstein Cancer Center and Jacoby Medical Center in New York. 
Um, I have the pleasure of introducing this program, which will discuss many aspects of the COVID-19 or coronavirus infection and pandemic, including some updated information. We're fortunate to have a very knowledgeable and helpful panel on the call today, and I look forward to their presentations. And also, I'll look very I'll look forward to uh, learning the responses that you just gave to Carolyn Messner's questions. Cancer Care has presented several programs in this forum over the last two years discussing COVID-19 pandemic, and you might wish to review some of these in the archives uh, on the uh, Cancer Care website. This program is being presented today on February 7, 2022. In addition to introducing the program, Carolyn often asks me to address quickly what we know and what we don't know. What we know is that being knowledgeable about COVID is helpful. The terms surrounding the virus can be a bit confusing, so let me do a brief refresher. You may hear three terms discussed, coronavirus, COVID-19, and SARS-CoV-2. The name of the illness is COVID-19. The CO part of that is for coronavirus. The V part stands for virus, while the D is for the disease, and 19 is for the year 2019 when this was first identified. The actual virus that causes the problem is somewhat confusingly named SARS-CoV-2, which means that this is related to but not identical to the virus causing the SARS disease nearly 20 years ago. When you get a test to see if you have COVID-19, it tests for that SARS-CoV-2 virus itself. What we know is that on this date in early February 2022, there has been good news and that the cases of the Omicron variant of COVID-19, by far the most prevalent strain, are, fall, strain, are falling dramatically. While this COVID variant often causes less severe disease than the recent Delta variant, it can still result in hospitalization and in death. There is an Omicron subvariant that is being watched at this time. We are all at risk for COVID, but who's at the greatest risk? Among several risk factors, the answer is that older patients, those with less than ideal immune systems, and people with cancer are at the greatest risk. And of course, our topic is COVID-19 and cancer. Sometimes we talk about cancers that are either hematologic malignancies, including such diseases as lymphomas, multiple myeloma, and leukemia, or so-called solid tumors, such as lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colon cancer, among many others. Dr. Leonard will address aspects about COVID in patients with hematologic malignancies. In solid tumors such as lung cancer, which is an all-too-common cancer, it has been clearly shown that COVID-19 presents an even greater risk with at least double the chances of severe disease or death. So those of us with cancer or caring for people with cancer know that this is no time to take one's guard down, just the opposite. The vaccines, which are so widely available now, truly and profoundly reduce the major risks for those with cancer. It has recently been said that this is a, quote, triple vaccine illness. That means that all of us over age four should receive those excellent RNA uh, vaccines, the Pfizer or Moderna, now fully FDA approved for adults, for the first two doses followed by a booster. If one received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it is time to get a booster 
especially with the Pfizer or Moderna. The results from all over the world show us the good news of how effective these vaccines are at reducing severe disease. Now, Dr. Berggren will adjust the issue of even an additional vaccine dose for highest risk groups and timing of those vaccines. The vaccines are remarkably safe and effective, but like every medication, are not perfect and don't absolutely prevent COVID in everyone. Those with cancer are often older and may have less than ideal immune systems. While they can benefit greatly from vaccines, it is really important that all of us around people with cancer are triple vaccinated as well to give a margin of extra safety. Having the home tests, which in the U.S. can now be mailed to you for free, just go to covidtests.gov or call 800-232-0233 or are available in pharmacies, typically covered by insurance, can help test each of us before exposure to people at particular risks. These home test nasal swabs give results in just 15 minutes. What we know is that some people can have the virus without having symptoms. This is why testing is so helpful to identify asymptomatic people who possibly could transmit the infection. Being in well-ventilated places or outdoors offers additional protection, as does wearing masks around people at risk, and good hand hygiene or hand washing is always important. We must avoid others who have the infection. This is not easy to do in the home, but it is a priority. Every family needs to think about a plan for your own home as to how to handle the situation if a member of the household needs to isolate, was exposed, tests positive, or begins to show symptoms or is known to have the infection. This includes the person with cancer and any others in the home. This certainly should start discussion concerning excellent communication about many matters within your family. Ms. Chatalian will discuss several aspects of dealing with the stresses that are so common at these times. Guidelines as to when to return to work or school after having had COVID-19 vary in different localities. The most strict dictate 10 days after cessation of major illness symptoms accompanied by one or two negative COVID tests. The least strict take that down to five days with a negative test being desirable. In my view, around people with cancer, taking stronger precautions is a good idea before any exposure risk. The role of televisits will be discussed by my colleagues shortly in this program. For sure, your oncology team is a great source of individualized information which you and your family should take, care, uh, take advantage of. Reliable information is so important at this time. In fact, that's why we're all involved in this program, and we hope that Cancer Care will continue to be a useful and reliable resource for you, as again will also be your own oncology team. My colleagues in the following presentations will discuss several key topics with practical advice for individuals and families with cancer. Our panel will be presenting a lot of findings, and we recognize that you may have many questions. We will be happy to discuss more about these and related issues when we have the question period later in this program. I'll now turn the program back to Carolyn Messner, and we'll look forward to the presentations of my colleagues. Carolyn? 
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grau. That was outstanding. Just a wonderful introduction to today's program, really an outline of what we're going to do today. And also, um, you know, identifying when this program is taking place, the date, um, which is February 7th, um, so that 2022, so we know that this is the exact information that we have as of this date. That's really important. Um, I appreciate Dr. Grawler for identifying that as well. And now our next speaker is Dr. John Leonard. Dr. Leonard is Senior Associate Dean for Innovation and Initiatives, Executive Vice Chair, well, Department of Medicine. Richard T. Silver, Distinguished Professor of Hematology and Medical Oncology, while Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian. And Dr. Leonard will be addressing COVID-19, Delta, Omicron, and its variants, revised guidelines for people living with blood cancers, COVID-19 vaccines and booster vaccines, flu, pneumococcal, and shingles vaccine, and how to protect yourself, loved ones, and children from COVID-19 and its variants. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Leonard. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Messner. It's a great pleasure to be here uh, today, and I want to also thank uh, you and, and your colleagues at Cancer Care for all that you've done to raise attention and provide uh, answers and support for patients uh, dealing with these challenging situations. Uh, I am a specialist in lymphoma in particular, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the blood cancer situation and what patients with blood cancer have to do a little bit differently or uh, need to be mindful of. And blood cancers are particularly leukemias, lymphomas, and multiple myeloma. Those are the, the three main categories of blood cancers. And things are a little bit uh, different, a little bit uh, special for patients with blood cancer for a few different reasons. Number one, we have uh, evidence that if patients with blood cancer get infected with the COVID-19 virus, they may be at greater risk of having uh, more severe complications, even uh, hospitalization and uh, uh, in some cases death from COVID-19. So we do need to be mindful of what we uh, do as a preventative and a treatment for patients with blood cancers. We also know that uh, patients with blood cancers in certain situations may be less likely to respond, have their immune system respond to vaccination, the COVID-19 vaccinations that we've talked a little bit about and we'll hear more about. And there are some extra precautions and extra steps that patients with blood cancers can take. Uh, in that particular, uh, to in in their particular situation, to reduce their risk, and we're going to hit the high points of this. For the purposes of this discussion, patients are considered moderately or severely immunocompromised in a uh, in a number of different settings, and that includes many, though not all, patients with blood cancer. These criteria include patients who are receiving active treatment. Uh, for tumors or cancers of the blood, patients who've had an organ transplant, and in some cases that might be uh, a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant, in particular within the last two years, other medications that might uh, suppress the immune system, such as corticosteroids or drugs like prednisone, as well as a number of other conditions that are less connected to blood cancers. And so many patients with blood cancer may find themselves in the situation where they are considered moderately to severely immunocompromised. In particular, patients who have lymphoma who have received what we call 
uh, antibodies or immune therapies that deplete B cells, uh, such as rituximab and obinutuzumab, which some patients may have received for B cell lymphomas or for chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Some patients call uh, some drugs called Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors, such as ibrutinib or acalabrutinib or xanabrutinib, also can, to a lesser extent, affect the immune system. Uh, stem cell transplants that are used for certain uh, blood cancers, as well as CAR T cell therapies, which are used for certain types of leukemia and lymphoma. These are patients who are particularly uh, immunocompromised and, and therefore need to take some extra steps. Now, the good news is that we do have uh, extra steps that one can take. Uh, Dr. Grala alluded to uh, vaccinations, and I'm sure all of you are, are familiar with the concept of, of vaccination against COVID-19. These are, for many individual situations, things that you need to talk about with your doctor, in part because the timing of vaccinations and boosters may be very uh, patient-specific. Your individual situation may cause you to make a change in that that schedule or that timing or even the number of doses. And I think Dr. Berggren is going to uh, mention that in a little bit more detail uh, because it does apply to many blood cancer patients. The other thing that people should know is that we've had an evolution in some of the other tools that we have available. There is a uh, combination of antibody treatments called Evusheld, E-V-U-S-H-E-L-D, and this is a combination of two immune treatments or antibodies that are given as a preventative or as a prophylaxis for some patients who are moderately or severely immunocompromised. This is, Evusheld is an injection. It's actually two injections given in the muscle that can last for six months as a preventative in patients who either didn't make an immune response to the vaccine or are at particular risk for infection. Now, this has recently become available. The availability is limited in some parts of the country and probably in most parts of the country, I would say. Um, but it is something that is available in, in many different centers now and will, over the coming weeks, be more available. So I do think that patients who fall into this immunocompromised group should speak to their doctor and their care team as to whether or not Evusheld is a prophylaxis, again, an injection uh, at least for, for lasting for, for six months, and who knows in the future if we'll be giving it more uh, additional doses after that, but this could be useful for many patients, and we and others are starting to use this as a preventative for people at high risk. And then finally, we have two new agents or drugs if you were to develop uh, COVID-19 infection, if you were to become infected, and you fall into the immunocompromised situation. One is another antibody treatment called sotrovimab. This is an intravenous infusion of antibody. The second is a pill called Paxlovid, which is taken for five days. These are available, again, uh, somewhat limited uh, as far as the drug supply, but these are available to patients, particularly those falling into the immunocompromised situation. So this is something that, again, if you were to 
to be an immunocompromised patient, if you were to be a blood cancer patient and become infected with COVID-19, this is something to talk to your care team about and see if this is an appropriate uh, treatment for, uh, for COVID-19 infection. So there are other vaccinations, and, and uh, we don't want to neglect. We're focused on COVID-19, but uh, flu shots uh, play an important role, pneumococcal vaccines for certain types of pneumonia, and shingles to prevent shingles uh, 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 infections or, or activation. Uh, all of these are available for many patients, including many immunocompromised patients. And so talk to your doctor about uh, whether or not that's appropriate for you, I would say most uh, patients, perhaps not all, but most patients should uh, consider this and talk to your doctor about your individual situation. And then finally, as Dr. Grala alluded to, we still need to be careful, um, particularly if you are living in a community or an area where uh, there remains high uh, incidence and prevalence of COVID-19 infections where people in your community are becoming infected, uh, where you're at higher risk of encountering someone to continue to use masks and good hygiene, particularly if you're immunocompromised. Hopefully that will change in the coming weeks to months as infection rates seem to be lowering in certain parts of the country. But uh, for most patients, we still need to be vigilant and keep up these precautions at least for the next several weeks, and we'll see how things go uh, uh, over the coming weeks to months. So with that, I'll stop uh, with my portion, and I look forward to the questions later. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard. That was an outstanding presentation as well, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is uh, Dr. Ruth Berggren, and Dr. Berggren is Professor of Medicine Director, Center for Medical Humanities and Ethics, UT Health, San Antonio. And Dr. Bergen will be addressing understanding infectious diseases and pandemics like COVID-19, Omicron, and its variants, working closely with your healthcare team about your wishes and healthcare directives, and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Bergen. Hello, and thanks so much for having me with this group. I'm learning a lot. Um, I am an infectious disease physician, um, and I have been serving in the capacity of uh, COVID-19 liaison and special advisor to Bayer County uh, here in San Antonio, and I field a lot of questions um, all day long. And I've learned a couple things, which is that um, it's best if we keep things brief and then answer people's specific questions. And um, the topics I was assigned are wonderful, and I think one could write a book about all of the topics that were assigned to me, but I won't be giving you a book. I'll give you some high-level remarks. And so I'm going to start with understanding infectious diseases and pandemics um, like COVID-19, Omicron, and its variants. And I want to say at the outset, an infection anywhere is a threat to health everywhere. And we need to remember this. As even as we're exhausted and just sick and tired of hearing about COVID and dealing with COVID, the reality is that it's not just immunization in the United States that's going to uh, end the pandemic. It's getting people vaccinated all over the world. And I'll unpack a little bit of that in a moment. Um, so highly contagious viruses like SARS-CoV-2, think about you've ones that you've heard of, smallpox, which thankfully we've eradicated, Ebola, um, the earlier SARS, 
virus, uh, cholera, and even um, pandemic influenza. When you have super contagious viruses, they can spread really rapidly around the world. And as they do, some of them mutate and change so rapidly that the vaccines or the medications that we have developed as tools to protect us just simply can't keep up. You'll probably remember last year around May, and maybe you were celebrating as I was, when the CDC director, Dr. Walensky, told us all, if you've been vaccinated, you can take off your mask. And she did that based on some very good data. However, right around that time, the Delta variant, which is a mutated version of SARS-CoV-2, had been uh, causing a lot of infection, a lot of disease, and a lot of death, uh, starting over in India. And it started there in a place that was very densely populated where very few people had been immunized at the time that it started. And the Delta variant uh, came over uh, to our continent just as we were taking off our masks. And our instructions had been only take your mask off if you're vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, you still need to mask. But basically, everybody took their masks off based on that advice, and the Delta variant arrived. And as you know, we went into yet another surge. The Delta variant was three to five times more infectious than the original SARS-CoV-2, um, and it made a lot of people sick. And the other thing we learned last summer um, was that if, even if you were vaccinated, you possibly could get infected, and you weren't as likely to die or go to the hospital, but you could as a vaccinated and infected person, you could transmit the virus to other people. And so we saw a lot of spread and we continued with our efforts to get everybody vaccinated and put our masks back on. And just as we finally got the Delta, Delta variant under control, we started to see around Thanksgiving of this last year, another variant, and this was the Omicron uh, variant, which is also SARS-CoV-2, but it has mutations that make it even more infectious than the Delta variant was. And in addition to being even more infectious, the vaccines that we have given people to protect against SARS-CoV-2 are slightly less effective from pre preventing infection. So you had an, all of a sudden, this time coming out of South Africa, where you had um, a lot of people living in crowded places and not enough people vaccinated, you had a variant emerge that was more infectious. Luckily, it was a little bit less lethal. Um, unfortunately, it was less intimidated by our vaccine. And um, this has spread around the world as well. Now, the good news is that you're still something like 94% less likely to need to go to the hospital if you've been both vaccinated and boosted. Uh, for SARS-CoV-2, um, but a lot of people who are vaccinated are still getting breakthrough infection, and while they generally do okay, they can propagate the virus by spreading it to other people. So what are some lessons that we've learned? Um, well, one is that when countries or communities lag behind in vaccination and they also have a high population density, the virus will keep on replicating and as it does so, because it's a little bit sloppy when it replicates itself, it will have mutations. And the mutations that cause it to be more infectious are going to be selected for, 
and that will lead to um, increased spread and rapid spread. So if we want the pandemic to abate, we've got to vaccinate. And then we learned that you still have to wear a mask and socially distance, even if you're vaccinated and boosted. And this is going to be true for a while because we have much of the globe still unvaccinated. And until we can do a better job of that, we can expect additional mutations, additional variants, and additional patterns of spread. Um, so the other thing is to remember that we've learned more about masking. These mutations seem to be progressively le leading to more and more infectious variants. The more infectious the variant, the better mask you're going to want to wear. And uh, remember, we were told early on that even a cloth face covering was better than nothing. Well, now we really know that you need at least a KN95 and N95 or double double layer uh, surgical mask, not a cloth mask, in order to prevent um, transmission, in order to, to prevent yourself and protect yourself um, from getting infected. So use a better mask. So those are my comments about understanding pandemics and why we, we're still in this. Um, it's not the be all and end all in understanding this, but those are some important concepts. I was asked to talk about working with your healthcare team, including about your wishes and your healthcare directives. And the first thing I wanna tell you as an infectious disease doctor is that if you have COVID-19 and you've had a positive test, don't wait around before reaching out to your primary healthcare provider. Reach out as soon as you know that you have COVID or COVID symptoms the reason is that those medications that you've just heard about that can help you, they need to be started within a window of time. So Paxlovid, which is the oral pill antiviral, and there's another one called Molnupiravir, both of those need to be started within the first five days of your symptoms. So reach out to your healthcare providers early. Don't wait until a week has gone by. The monoclonal antibodies, the trovimab that you heard about, that has to be given within 10 days of your infection. And there is also an opportunity to use the intravenous antiviral drug, um, remdesivir, which you may have heard about, that's now been approved for outpatient use for people that are not terribly ill, but you do have to come into an infusion center once a day for three days in a row to get that. And that also needs to be started within about seven days of your first symptoms. Also, you don't want to walk, do a walk-in to a clinic, a regular clinic. If you have symptoms of COVID-19, I'm sure everybody is really well aware of that. But if you're reaching out because you have COVID and you want help, you need to, you need to make an appointment and start with a phone call. Um, the immunocompromised people um, and the definition of what makes you immunocompromised was just reviewed, I think, by both of the previous two speakers, those people um, would benefit actually not just from the primary vaccine series and a booster, but from a fourth dose. And so I was asked to unpack that. Um, if you are an immunocompromised person, which could in include somebody with a blood cancer or a solid tumor undergoing chemotherapy, you need to get your same primary series as everybody else, but in your case, the primary series is to include a third dose of vaccine, ideally given 28 days after your second dose. You also then would get a booster dose, and now they've changed the guidelines for the duration of time between your 
primary series completion and getting your booster dose, that's five months. It's at least five months since completion of your primary series. There are a lot of folks probably on this phone call who had their primary series and got a booster, and now that the word is out about a fourth dose, and they're wondering when they should get it. And it really does need to be an individualized decision. If you get your fourth dose, you'll need to wait at least two weeks before you can get Evusheld, which is the monoclonal antibody that can be used to help protect you further. If you get your vaccine, your fourth dose, and you immediately get Evusheld, your body will have no chance to actually benefit from the vaccine because the Evusheld will block your immune response. So one thing that may be appropriate, depending on where you are and how immunocompromised you are and how available Evusheld is, you may be eligible to just go ahead and get your Evusheld rather than a fourth dose. Once you have your Evusheld, it will be six months before you should either get a fourth dose or another round of Evusheld. Those guidelines are still evolving. But the thing to know is if you've had Evusheld, vaccine against COVID-19 will not work for you for at least six months. And if you've had a dose of vaccine, whether it's a booster or a fourth dose, Two weeks must go by before you can get your Evusheld. I think those are the key points that I wanted to make about that. And then uh, regarding the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments, I think this has really been one of the silver linings of this pandemic is that we've all gotten better about uh, doing telehealth and telemedicine. It can increase our efficiency. Um, Patients can get in to see the doctor or the nurse practitioner a lot more easily without exposing one another to uh, not only SARS-CoV-2, but influenza and, and the common cold. So this has been a blessing really for all of us. But I would urge you, um, having uh, taken care of a lot of patients through telehealth, it is so much better if you can prepare so that your camera is ready, if you can actually physically appear uh, with your healthcare provider and you can see each other. There's a lot of communication um, and a lot of clinical information that we can get uh, when we're actually looking at one another as opposed to talking on the telephone. As always, um, advanced directives are important to discuss, uh, whether it's in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. And it's best to discuss your wishes and your healthcare directives at a time when things are calm and not dire and not an emergency. So a reminder that that's a good thing to do now, just as it always has been. And that's really the end of my remarks. And thank you so much. I look forward to your questions. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Berger, and that was really outstanding, wonderful information from you, um, and I think that um, I'm, I know there'll be a lot of questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor at Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing how to prepare for your telemedicine, telehealth appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes, where to find reliable information regarding this pandemic and its variants, and quality of life and lifestyle concerns. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you very much, uh, 
Dr. Mesner. It's my pleasure and honor to be part of this program and to be on the podium, virtual podium, with my esteemed colleagues. I, I want to pick up uh, the thread from uh, Dr. Bergren, who talked about telehealth. And I think let's to, to go right to the beginning. Yes, there's been great efficiencies, but it has made this incredibly more complex. And I can just think of my own mother, who I got her a uh, iPad. Uh, she's 90 years old, and uh, there's there's uh, nothing more frustrating sometimes than trying to get her to to look right at the camera and to do the things right. So it is come it comes with its own package of issues. But one of the advice I have for you is when you're at the doctor's office for your first consultation visit, or um, uh, you are making your first contact, make sure you understand how to get help. Uh, we understand this is a difficult endeavor for many of our patients, so therefore we have systems set up. If you're coming for your first face-to-face uh, uh, -face consultation, you can stop off at the front desk here at MD Anderson for to get help. We have a hotline for this. And more importantly, if you've learned anything about the, uh, the last several lectures, is that this is an area which is very complex, and I can just imagine people on the line scribbling away. So importantly, uh, one of the things that I ask you to take away from this is that if you have questions, to so write them down. Because uh, as you get on to the telehealth or video conferencing, um, it's important to, to be prepared, to know what your concerns are. Uh, doctors are famous for trying to download information to managing your health and, and, uh, and trying to get your illness better. Um, and in order to do so, we have our own agendas not necessarily always aligned and made worse by the fact that if we're not in person, we don't get the meta messages, we don't see your body language, we don't sometimes know when to stop. So I tell my patients oftentimes that uh, to, to just speak up and interrupt me. I say it overtly and I say it every meeting because I cannot see the cues sometimes which allows me to know when I should stop. That's important. So you do have to take charge in many ways of uh, what's happening. So have questions prepared um, and have who you need to be there as well. So having virtual visits has some advantages in that aspect as well. In individuals who, uh, in my practice, who have far-flung family members, we can conference them, call in. Uh, you can do this on most uh, devices. Uh, you can uh, use a, uh, the, the speaker function in, on your phone, and then you can have a, uh, you know, multiple people on your end participate. And it goes on and on. So there are multiple things that can happen. I happen to be a specialist in skin cancer, so sometimes I'll ask patients to get to a good light source, like a window, and then aim the camera at, the, at what we're talking about, which helps me manage things. So understand how to do that. So the technology of that is an issue, but not insurmountable, and most importantly, know how to get help. The other thing is, as you make contact with your healthcare team, be aware of how their system works. How does how does on-call work? Who is on at night? How do you manage things if something happens in, on a weekend or dead of night or holiday? We, many practices, almost all, have people have coverage, and so doctors who are away get their partners to cover or have a coverage uh, situation set up. Uh, I, the, one of the things I, I say to all my new patients is to show me the card that my nurse gave them, and, on a, and I will point out where the switchboard number is in case things happen. There's so much information going on here, you know, uh, that it's important that you help uh, you help manage how the information is is gathered together and how you get the answers to your questions. Very important. The thing that's also important is that 
when you have uh, in-face uh, meetings, there are things you can see that you cannot see online. And many of these are quality of, of life issues, things like pain, discomfort, uh, uh, symptomatic deformities. Um, uh, these are things that I can see when I'm sitting there in front of you, but I can't see otherwise. So it's up to you to speak up. Doctor, I'm still having pain. Doctor, this is causing, causing swollen joints. I cannot pick up a spoon. Uh, doctor, I'm, I'm having such such pain I cannot walk because it goes down my leg. Uh, I cannot see you, uh, you know, sort of walk abnormally into my office. If I spot that, that's the first thing I ask about. Sometimes I look outside the office uh, 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 clinic and I see there's a wheelchair where none has been there before. I see a cane where I have not seen a cane before. So I don't have those cues. And again, I give you full permission to, to make sure that in a virtual visit that we see that. Even in a face-to-face, -face, don't, I don't see the rest of you. I don't see your hands. I don't see how you walk and things like that. It's very, very important. So the quality of life issues, very important. Also, know that you can bring in other members of the team. If there are issues like financial issues, ask to see one of the financial advisors. If your case is becoming overly complex, multiple subspecialists, and I joke with my family that I treat skin cancer only at the left hand because here at Anderson, someone looks at it with the right hand. So, so we have multiple subspecialists. Uh, you can ask for a case manager to help you streamline things. And, of course, if things don't go right, and it's, it's not unusual. This is, after all, people trying to help people and uh, with a huge amount of emotion in, in here and, of course, threat to loss of, of, uh, of uh, the way uh, we know life to be. Uh, it's emotionally charged. So every system has, has people like ombudsmen or, or patient advocates that you can reach out to to at least sort of try to sometimes figure out between the technology and uh, our new ways of coping with COVID and new ways of doing things, find a way through to make it happen. So um, I don't want to, I, I want to leave enough time for questions, but I think that the takeaway here is that the technology can help us and also can hinder us. And it is contingent upon both the, the healthcare provider, like myself and my team, but also you, to be organized enough to, to get what you want, to make sure you have in front of you the things that are uh, written on paper, if necessary, the things that you feel are important to you, and to not be afraid of, of taking charge, of interrupting the healthcare team member. And those of us who do this, and understand that this is a necessity of what's going on right now. So I, I'll stop here, and, and again, I thank you all for your attention. I, thought, I, think, I think, thank Dr. Mezzer and our team for bringing us together, and I look forward to the Q&A later on. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. That was really outstanding as well, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Excellent presentation. And our next uh, speaker is uh, Ms. Lauren Chatelian. Uh, Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker, and she's the Women and, and Children's Program Manager at Cancer Care, and she'll be addressing tips to manage the practical, emotional, and financial stresses related to COVID-19, Delta, and Omicron variants in cancer, self care and stress management tips, the free programs and services of cancer care. Um, and so I'm going to, it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, and thank you to everyone on this program today. Cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of cancer. 
Our comprehensive services include case management, counseling, support groups, coping circle community programs, educational workshops, publications, as well as possible limited financial assistance and co-payment assistance. Physical, social, and emotional challenges may arise when diagnosed with cancer throughout one's treatment as well as post-treatment. It can be beneficial to determine ways to approach challenges that may surface. And throughout our program today, we recognize how the current pandemic can impact the cancer diagnosis. When diagnosed with cancer, individuals may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Many hospitals, treatment centers, and nonprofit organizations offer supportive services. Working one-on-one -on -one with an oncology social worker, counselor, or therapist can offer a space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns. This may include adjusting to and finding new ways of coping throughout treatment that is tailored to an individual. Being a member in a support group can offer the opportunity to speak with others, gather and provide support, as well as, as obtain information. A support group may help to reduce feelings of loneliness and help to increase feelings of hope and empowerment. Cancer Care offers online national support groups and registration can be found at cancercare.org. If your support system feels distant during the pandemic, there may be options to connect over the phone or online to continue to engage with others. Continue to connect with people who have common interests or who may be going through a similar experience as you. There may be a virtual community program available to you, such as Cancer Cares Coping Circles. Please remember you are not alone. You may find that others are feeling similarly to you during this time, and it is very possible they are looking for someone to connect with as well. Throughout the pandemic, you may notice that certain activities or techniques that you have put in place to help cope since diagnosis could be paused or altered. This may be a time of finding new hobbies or learning something new. It may also be helpful to focus on strengthening self-care practices. Self-care is defined as the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being, particularly during periods of stress. This varies person to person and may also change over time. Self-care practices may include journaling, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, or listening to music or podcasts. Also, breathing techniques can offer a quick reset when feeling stressed or overwhelmed. You may also consider connecting with nature by spending time outdoors. Continue to speak to your medical team about precautions related to COVID-19, Delta, and Omicron variants as you explore these options. Individuals may experience practical and financial concerns throughout one's treatment and during the ongoing pandemic. It may be helpful to discuss any financial concerns with your medical providers, as well as connecting with the social worker, patient navigator, and financial department at the treatment center to see if there are any financial options available to you. Also, there are organizations that may be able to help. Cancer Care provides national case management services to patients, post-treatment survivors, and caregivers affected by cancer. We offer a short-term strength-based approach to case management where the case manager will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. On Cancer Care's COVID-19 landing page, there's also a list of organizations that may be providing relief assistance. As we have listened to our panel of experts today, we recognize how COVID-19, Delta, and Omicron variants can specifically affect an individual diagnosed with cancer, as well as loved ones and caregivers. The pandemic continues to be a challenging and uncertain time for many people. It is important to continue to focus on your physical, emotional, and mental health. 
During this time, you may find alternative ways of seeking joy and comfort. If you are interested in learning more about the support services Cancer Care offers, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hopeline at 1-800-813-4673. You'll be able to speak to one of our oncology social workers and explore the ways in which we can offer cancer-focused support and resources. For more information about support options, upcoming programs, and reading material, please also consider visiting cancercare.org. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of this very informative program today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Italian. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful resources for people to, um, to take advantage of. And I have to say at the end of the program, you will be getting a survey monkey evaluation and all the resources that were mentioned during today's program, including Rose, Ms. Italian, Dr. Berger, and any of our other speakers will be included in your, um, in your when you get that. Survey Monkey evaluation. So it's not just an evaluation of the program, you'll also be getting some really good things, additional tips that you'll be having um, at your fingertips. And now, before we go on to the Q&A, so please, I know many of your questions are coming in, and we're going to just ask you a few questions, take about two minutes, and then we're going to go right into um, the Q&A. So, the, and again, for those of you live streaming, you'll be able to see the questions, you'll be able to rate your answers, and then you'll be able to, um, and then we'll just move on. It'll take about two minutes. Um, the first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to protect myself and my loved ones from COVID-19, Omicron, and Delta variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of COVID-19 vaccines, booster vaccines, flu, pneumococcal, and shingles vaccines. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to protect myself, loved ones, and children from COVID-19 and its variants. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of where I may find reliable information regarding COVID-19 pandemic and its variants for people living with cancer and their loved ones. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to manage the practical, emotional, and financial stresses related to COVID-19, Delta and Omicron variants, and cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Well, I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us to see um, what you've learned during this program. And now we're going to move on to the questions that you have. I'm going to bring, I'm going to ask Dee Tamara to bring all of our speakers on board. And I'm going to ask Dee Tamara to explain to all of you how to cure for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press start in the number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking on Ask a Question. Excellent. Okay, thank you. And we have a number of actually online questions that I'm going to um, start with this. Um, um, so this question um, for Dr. Um, Berggren, is the fourth dose just approved for the COVID vaccine for immunocompromised, a full dose, or a booster? Um, so I think what I understood the question to be is whether the fourth dose 
was for immunocompromised, and then it's like you said full dose or a booster. Let me let me just review. Um, fourth doses um, are only for immunocompromised people. So those are people who are receiving an active cancer treatment or for tumors or cancers of the blood, somebody who's had an organ transplant, a stem cell transplant, someone who has advanced or untreated HIV, or someone who takes high-dose steroids like greater than 20 milligrams of prednisone a day. Those are the people who ideally, when they get their primary series, should have three shots. Each shot is 21 or 28 days apart, and then their booster comes five months after that. If you're out of sync with that ideal schedule, what you should do next depends on whether Evusheld is readily available for you or not. And if it is readily available, that's probably going to protect you the most. Um, and once you get Evusheld, you would have to wait for a full six months before getting another shot. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and do we have a telephone question from someone? Um, from Yes. Your question is from Emil S. Please go ahead with your question. Okay, I have two questions. Very good workshop today. Dr. Growler gave a telephone number uh, for the testing kits, and could he repeat the number slowly? And could anybody uh, talk about any of the added symptoms of COVID-19 that you would have if you have cancer or had cancer? Are there any ad additional symptoms that you have to be concerned about? Thank you. Thank you, Emil. Um, Dr. Grala, could you give that telephone number? Um, I sure again? will. So you can call this number, 800-232-0233, or you can go online to COVID tests, one word, plural, covidtests.gov. Pretty easy to use. Um, so either one of those uh, are good resources for free tests, and also many people, their insurance will cover it uh, right away in a chain drug store. So good to have those on board. And one thing, Carolyn, uh, I imagine that this uh, call will be, uh, this uh, program will be archived? Yes, it will be recorded. Yes, it will be actually available. Yes, Right. So, so people yes. could go back and listen also for a lot of the information that we hear. So uh, I'll just stop with that. Okay, thank you. Um, and um, another question from one of our online participants. Um, so this would be a question for Dr. Um, I guess for Dr. Grala. Does a recent bout of COVID in a cancer survivor impact the appearance of lymph nodes on a mammogram or other imaging? Um, we learned COVID vaccines did. Yes, indeed. COVID vaccines could and uh, uh, a recent bout of COVID could be somewhat confusing uh, on imaging, such as a CAT scan, et cetera. Now, the radiologists have gotten used to the patterns that are more common with COVID, but nonetheless, uh, uh, these uh, findings on the major imaging tests could be confused, and the same thing is true after a vaccine. Dr. Wong here. Can I can I make a comment, to yes. Dr. Mesner? Please. We uh, yes, we please. often tell our yeah we often tell our patients to take the vaccine on the side opposite of their cancer, for the reason and of course talk to your doctor about this. Uh, for example, I I I specialize in skin cancer. If we're following, say your left limb, and worried about something recurring on that side, 
then you want to just do the vaccine on the other side, and uh, then you don't confuse the issue. Uh, always, always speak to your oncologist about these matters, but, uh, but we as a practice have gone forward to speak to our patients about what side to get their uh, vaccine on. And yes, of course, the radiologists have gotten really fantastic at it. They'll even say right on the report, did this patient get a, you know, get vaccinated on, on, on this arm or something like that? Um, but uh, but it's one of the considerations that's come forward. So very smart uh, question. Very good advice, and of course, in breast cancer, the same advice is ex is extremely relevant as well. Um, and a question for. Um Dr. Dr. Leonard, um, do you include MDS in the blood cancer group with high risks? Well, MDS is a scenario also known as myelodysplasia. Uh, this is a group of patients who typically uh, are not as immunosuppressed as uh, some of those that we've talked about. Uh, the, the big issue with uh, issues with a response to vaccine is primarily in those who have B cell, which are lymph cells, uh, depletion and, and effects. So typically, uh, myelodysplasia patients would not be in the most immunocompromised group, but that said, depending on the specific scenario and what treatment the patient would have received, uh, I, would, I would encourage speaking with your doctor uh, to see if uh, if any of the other uh, kind of preventative approaches would be appropriate to consider. And another question for you, Dr. Lennon, would you please repeat the two drugs for COVID treatment that you had mentioned? Sure. I'm, I mentioned uh, citrovimab, which is an antibody treatment, and Paxlovid, which is a pill treatment. Although there are a few others, these are probably the most commonly uh, uh, used ones right now, uh, but, there, but there are others. So it really, and, and I would just emphasize that this is a rapidly changing uh, sort of thing. So the, the main message is not to know what drug your doctor should give you, but mostly to know that there are drugs uh, that uh, patients who are diagnosed with COVID when they're immunocompromised should consider, and depending on a variety of factors, uh, you know, uh, the, the doctor and the team would pick one of those in part based on availability, in part based on the individual situation. So that's the key takeaway is don't assume that if you are diagnosed with COVID, you just stay at home and wait it out. Uh, there are options for immunocompromised patients to consider. And a question for Dr. Bergeron. Um, if one has not responded to COVID vaccinations, does this impair malaria medication prophylaxis as well? I'm not aware of any association between um, the COVID vaccine response and malaria medication. And a question for um, Dr. Leonard. Does the increased risk of COVID-related complications for patients post-stem cell transplant apply to people with post-autologous as well as allergenic, allergenetic um, um, stem cell transplants? Um, does the risk, does the risk incre decrease over time? And um, thank you. Uh, the, the risk does decrease over time, and the risks really do depend on the individual situation and the time from therapy. Someone who has recently, and I'll say recently within the last six months to a year, uh, generally speaking, it may actually be even a little longer than that, um, we are revaccinating patients, essentially starting over again. 
whether or not you're longer from that, whether or not that should be considered, uh, it really is something to talk about with with your doctor. But within the the within certainly a, a six months to a year of a transplant, uh, uh, you should be particularly concerned about uh, these risks. And if you're you know a year or two out, talk to your doctor. If you're something like five years out, probably not an issue. Uh, but also not a bad idea to speak with your doctor about that as well. And yes, both autologous and allogeneic are issues there. And um, this a question for um, uh, for Dr. Bergeron to start. What is considered a COVID long hauler? Where can one go for support who has lingering side effects? Okay, so um, COVID long haul has uh, some specific definitions, but um, we'll, we'll keep it broad and we'll keep it general. And um, it's certainly certainly people that are still having symptoms, you know, more than three to six weeks after their um, infectious episode. And every community um, will have different kinds of resources. Um, I'm here in San Antonio, Texas, and we actually have we're a, a hub for a group that's studying COVID long haulers. And so, we, you know, I would start with uh, our university website. And when you get your follow-up um, emails from Dr. Messner, I will try to include some, some websites that are useful for you regarding long-haul COVID. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, well, I have to say that um, I want to thank all our speakers. I want to thank all of our participants. We have um, many questions that we could um, go well into the afternoon <laughs> with, so I, I had said the call would be an hour in length, and I just want to thank our speakers, and I want to thank our participants for really asking such extraordinary and excellent questions. Um, and um, I, uh, I do want to comment on just the questions, but I, I want to kind of move us on so that we can um, address for those of you who asked your question, for those of you who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of another question, we would encourage all of you to go back to your treating healthcare team. Um, they are the experts and about you. They know all about your your healthcare situation, um, uh, and um, and so um, uh, you know they really are the experts that want on this um, about you. And then we do encourage you, I think um, this call is recorded, so probably by tomorrow afternoon, this program will be available for you to listen to again. So if you have, there may be some questions that you have that are actually addressed during the program itself. Most importantly, we don't want any one of you to feel alone in coping with, um, with cancer and in dealing with the COVID-19 COVID and Omicron and Delta variants and in terms of boosted vaccines in terms of the guidelines, in terms of what to do. Um, a lot of the information that we currently have was covered in today's program, so we definitely want you to take advantage of that today's program and really listen to the recording again um, and, and share it with other family members as well. You will also be getting, as I mentioned to you, um, a survey monkey evaluation will be asking all of you questions about the program, but also there will be a, quite a significant number of resources for all of you to access to further get some of your questions answered in addition to your healthcare team. Um, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, your interest in this topic. Um, it is definitely a, an emerging topic that we're going to hear more about, um, and uh, we will offer more programs as needed. 
Um, but I think um, I hope you have a base of information now to to build upon. And I want to thank you all for your participation today. Thank you all, and have a great day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.